Hello, everybody. I don't know about you, but I'm happy to be back. We're here in 2022, and I am going to start the year with Thaddeus Jones from Pontiac, Michigan. That's right, they used to make Pontiacs there when they made Pontiacs. <laughs> yeah, he was born there in 1923. And of course, he's from a pretty large family. There were like eight kids, and um, uh, he's kind of in the middle. Uh, his older brother, uh, Hank Henry, was named after his father. And uh, his younger brother, Elvin, was named after himself, Elvin. <laughs> uh, these three brothers uh, became well, well-known jazz musicians, but in the family, everybody played. The sisters all played violin and piano. Mom sang, you know, dad did what he could. He also, you know, worked inspecting lumber for the Jura um, uh, Motors, I think or the Ford Company, actually. And um, so they had a typical uh, family dynamic from people who have moved from the South, uh, namely Vicksburg, Mississippi, uh, up north for a, a better life. Um, Thad being kind of a middle child, he didn't get all the advantages that some of the older children got, like Hank. And of course, the girls always got the dance lessons and piano lessons, all that. So he was kind of the guy in the middle. He didn't get a whole lot of advantages uh, to start his musical career. Um, somewhere uh, at an early age, however, um, he was um, able to hear Louis Armstrong on a concert uh, in Detroit area. Uh, Detroit is just a short distance from Pontiac. And um, it changed his life. And he wanted to play trumpet so bad. Okay, you got a house full of kids, you got mom and pop, you know, mom got a basic job in singing in the choir, and dad got a basic job, you know, working at Ford and whatnot. Not a lot of money, but there was an uncle who played trumpet. And he gave young Thaddeus a trumpet. Oh yeah. Now, most of the biographies you will find about Thad Jones will say that he was self-taught. And I'm going to try to explain to you what that really means in black language because that's kind of confusing uh, when it comes to how we experience music education. Um, Thad was actually in a school band. He took music lessons at school and did very, very well. But somewhere around 13 or so, he decided that he was not progressing at the level that he needed to to get where he wanted to get. In other words, he wasn't sounding like Louis Armstrong. So he started buying trumpet method books, probably the Arvin and the Clark and things like that, and started working out himself, which is like teaching himself out of these method books. And some writers call that he was self-taught. That's not self-taught. 
He was taught in school by qualified music teachers. He also had his brother. Him sitting with a method book and working on himself, that's what we do. There weren't a whole lot of places to take private lessons in a black neighborhood. You might have a musician who will stop by and work with you for an hour every now and then. Or you might see some guys uh, uh, after a gig at a club or something who will show you a little something. But pretty much if you had that interest, you had to go the extra mile. That's how I learned. I bought solos, I bought method books, and I worked through myself. Once I learned to read music, it was just a matter of reading more and more and more and more and more and developing those skills to a higher level in terms of reading and also developing my technique as I worked in more and more and more advanced books. That is what Thad did. So please be careful when you say he's self-taught. That's not self-taught. That's maybe self-motivated, okay? But he had formal education in school. At any rate, somewhere around 16, he started playing professionally. And his first gigs, believe it or not, were with two local musicians. Let's see, his brother, Hank Jr. on piano, who would eventually become the famous Hank Jones, and a young sax player, also from Detroit, named Sonny Stitt, who is one of the most highly regarded sax players in the history of jazz. That was his first gig. And as soon as his younger brother, Elvin, was old enough to go into clubs and play, he started doing gigs with him. Somewhere around 1943 or so, uh, he's maybe 19, 20 years old, he goes into the military and stays uh, three or four years. He eventually got himself assigned to a band. He ended up going overseas with the band. He came back and he worked at the uh, School of Music, the Military School of Music. He probably did some teaching there as well. Um, and uh, things were working out really, really great for him. Uh, he came back somewhere around 46 or so. And um, while he was in the military on stateside, he was working in Des Moines, Iowa, and Oklahoma City and things like that. And once he got out of the military, he continued to work in those areas, particularly Omaha City, where he worked in a band and the leader of the band died suddenly at 26 years of age. And Thad took over that band. And he ran that band for two or three years until his father got sick and he had returned to Michigan because by that time, Hank, the older brother, had already gone to New York. So he goes back and he's playing. And what are you gonna do? Well, he starts playing local gigs and then some territory gigs and this and that. And then they discover this club that I'll be talking about later. It is called the Bluebird Inn. It was, as Pepper Adams said, 99.5% black. But Pepper Adams, who's a white guy who plays saxophones, that he was completely comfortable in and around that club. People were just there to hear jazz. Not many white folks came. Detroit was really pretty segregated, probably as much segregation there as it was in most of the Deep South. 
But some musicians, thank God for musicians, they blend and they work together. Pepper Adams says, yeah, it was 99%, 99.5% black, but I was comfortable. This club, the Bluebird Inn, had everybody coming through there. Miles Davis, Cannonball, Adderley, all the big national bird came through there. You know, it had started out just being a local bar, but over time, as the music evolved and went from swing, where you needed to have a big club and a dance floor, to bebop, where you just had people listening, the size of the Bluebird was ideal for bebop. And so it became an establishment for modern jazz. Well, guess what? That's where Thad Jones played for about two or three years. So everybody that came through there knew Thad and he knew them. And so now you got this networking, you got this reputation happening, his stock is going up and he's playing with his brother. And he's playing with other young Detroit musicians who are gonna be the next generation of great jazz musicians, like Tommy Flanagan on piano, and Kenny Burrell on guitar, and Sonny Stitt and so many others, and eventually Paul Chambers. Uh, it was a really, really hip scene uh, in Detroit. Miles actually lived there for a while and uh, played the Bluebird uh, as well. Barry Harris was there uh, playing piano because once Hank Jones moved away from Detroit, the piano chair went to people like Barry Harris because after all, Tommy Flanagan was going as well. Um, so he did that for uh, a while and then he got this break. The Count Basie Orchestra was looking for a trumpet player. Thad became its most celebrated trumpet soloist. Matter of fact, he is regarded as one of the finest trumpet soloists of all time. He didn't do so much with small combos, although he did that work, but what he did with big bands, particularly the Basie Band, which he stayed with uh, from 54, I think, to about 63. And he also was writing, composing, arranging, because he had started doing that at the Bluebird. Yeah. So those skills he picked up at the Bluebird and those experiences, they worked really well for him with the Cal Basie Orchestra. And he was writing some of the greatest tunes, he was playing some of the greatest solos. And to be honest, um, when the band went uh, to uh, England to play at the command of the Queen, he wrote Her Royal Majesty, a piece specifically for the Queen, and it was performed there. And so that is really becoming famous as this great composer. And he is also doing his own thing. He is releasing his own records, not on big labels, but say the uh, debut label, which was run by Mingus uh, for the most part. And um, so he had his own thing going, playing in little combos here and there and all of that. Uh, somewhere uh, around 61, uh, his brother Alvin was um, 
let's just say old enough, strong enough, to well known enough to get an opportunity to record his own album. And when he did, he had Thad as the music director who got a couple of uh, Franks, Frank West and uh, Frank Foster from the Basie Band to come in as the horn section and record Elvin Jones' first album that is simply called Elvin. Elvin Jones' career went straight to the moon and Thad's reputation grew even more. Shortly thereafter, Thad wanted to do more writing, was tired of the road, so he left the Basie Band. He did tour with George Russell for a while and did gigs here and there. He even did a gig with Jerry Mulligan, the great baritone sax player who worked with uh, Miles on the Birth of Cool and all that kind of stuff. And the significance of that relationship was he met a drummer named Mel Lewis. We're gonna table that for a minute. We're gonna come back to that in a minute. So he continues to record and do these things with all of these local musicians. He recorded an album called the Detroit, oh, the Motor City Scene. He did it with Detroit musicians, Flanagan, Kenny, PC, you know. He was very proud of his Detroit heritage and very, very proud of all the musicians he'd grown up with who had turned out to be such wonderful musicians on an international scale. Somewhere around 1965, that acquaintance he had made with um, Mel Lewis a few years earlier turned into a series of jam sessions with studio musicians around New York and eventually the Village Vanguard and eventually it became organized into a big band and became really really popular and before you know it you had the beginnings of the Thad Jones Mel Lewis Orchestra or as I call it the Thad Jones Mel Lewis Big Band now, let me tell you about this big band. Starting soon after they were inaugurated, 65 or so, they won seven Grammys for their recordings. And they won six Big Band of the Year awards from Downbeat Magazine consecutively. This period of time, was dominated by the Thad Jones Mel Lewis Jazz Orchestra, and that all came about because Mel Lewis was introduced to Thad Jones by Jerry Mulligan in a recording session and some gigs a few years before. This thing was going like gangbusters, and it went crazy for like 12 years. At the height of this success, Thad suddenly, moved to Europe, left America, moved to Copenhagen, Denmark. A lot of guesses as to why. Well, there were a lot of American musicians, American black musicians who had moved to Europe. Most of them did so because they were running from this overt racism. And I have no doubt that that was probably 
part of the reason that Thad left. The other thing was Thad had been traveling internationally for a while, and it's amazing that almost as soon as he got to Copenhagen, he married a Danish woman named Liss, who is the mother of his son, Thad Jones Jr. So as my son, who traveled on the road, says, man, when you're out there, you meet some intoxicated women, and maybe that's what happened to Thad. He met this woman and went, you know what? Nothing else matters. And so he moved to Copenhagen, and he made reestablished himself by writing for and recording and directing the Danish Radio Music Orchestra and turning it into the top jazz orchestra in Europe using both American expatriates and European musicians. And he did that right up until 1985, when Count Basie on his deathbed asked him to come back to America to lead the Count Basie Orchestra because he felt he was facing his own mortality. Basie died in 85, Thad came back and wrote and recorded and led the band on several tours. He was sick. He had cancer and there came a point at which he could no longer do the road. And at that point, the band was turned over to Frank Foster and Thad returned to Copenhagen, where a year or so later, a few months later, um, he died in the company of his wife and son in Copenhagen. And um, a street was named in his honor because he was accepted as a distinguished resident of Copenhagen. This is the life of Thad Jones. Everything he touched turned to gold. His arrangements and compositions are some of the hardest things to play because of the intricacies of the harmonies, the textures, the colors, and the inner moving lines that he is able to put it to paper, try to bring it from paper to your ear is a different story. We need to hear more Thad Jones. If there are any band records out there listening, if you want a challenge, go jump on some Thad Jones, any of it. Even for you, a very simple ballad he wrote that was recorded by the Count Basie Orchestra and the Duke Ellington Orchestra on recording that they both played together for the first and only time. For you, it's there. It's very simple, hymn-like, but I mean those textures have to be exactly right because Thad was all about the beauty, the textures, the colors, the romanticism, the integrity, of this music, he loved, and I love, and you all love, that we call jazz. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed this little talk. 
about one of my favorite musicians and most certainly my favorite composer, Mr. Thaddeus Jones. Thank you.